Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Man City make it a perfect 10. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week we are two up top. That means leading the line around the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, really good then. Um, Another action-packed week with lots of incidents and that to get through. So looking forward to it, mate. Yes, plenty of incidents to chat on this week's show and that means you're also joined by Palace fan Max. Max, I hope all is well, my friend. How have you been keeping this past week? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. It went um, really good uh, for, for most of the week, uh, right up until the point when Palace played, and then uh, not so well after that, but I'm sure we'll be talking about that. Yes, we'll get to that at uh, some point in the show. I was going to say there's probably a caveat to your week that it ends quite abruptly come Monday, but more on that later. Before we chat all things football, we need to do the social media bits, and that is as simple as, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at DanTracy1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at Real Football Pod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud, Audioboom and Spotify. While the podcast can announce a new content partner as I've teamed up with Goldground.com. And I'll be lending my thoughts to their excellent website on a regular basis. So once you listen to the show, make sure you check out their website. And also, there's an even easier way to find all the links now. And that's by going to Linktree slash RealFootballCast. Although you have to put a dot between the R and the E. If you do that, that's a bit fiddly. But from there, there's 10, yes, 10 podcast platforms for you to choose from. It's never been easier to listen to the show. Right, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? We can only go to Anfield. And Carl, we've hinted at this for a couple of weeks But on the evidence of Sunday, it really does look like we've got a Champions-elect in Manchester City. Yeah, you you can't, after this weekend, you can't look much further than them now to kind of go away and sort of blow blow the rest of this competition away. Um, And obviously, you know, not going to say win the title by a massive margin, but you kind of think the form they're showing, you know, they're five points clear already with a game in hand. So that's going to, that could extend the lead even more. They've looked like they've really found some form, and and this is without you know a couple of key players um, even in their side at the moment. You know if you if you think you're going to add players like De Bruyne and possibly Aguero coming back into that team, then you can only see them strengthening. So I think that result, you know, for me, I think that was the the title decider, and I think that's the result and the performance that that sends City on and gives them momentum to go and win win the title quite comfortably. So, Max, with that win at Anfield, it's 10 in a row. They've conceded two goals during that time. But with the scoreline, 
that it was on Sunday and the opposition that they felled. Do you get the feeling that was something of a statement victory for Pep and his players? Yeah, it was absolutely massive. And even those two goals you talk about, um, I'm pretty sure the first one was uh, an own goal from Diaz, which was a bit of an unlucky deflection. Um, and then the other one was Diaz making an, an extremely uncharacteristic mistake and kind of giving the ball straight to Salah and then um, pull it, pulling him down in the box, although it was a little bit soft. And so, you know, th those two goals weren't coming from teams opening City up and unlocking their defence and playing through them. Those two goals were kind of almost in a way a bit unlucky or self-inflicted. And they've just they've just completely transformed because earlier in the season, you know, they were 13th mid-table and we were thinking, well, you know, City don't look like doing it. Liverpool, United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, Leicester, all of them have got little kind of caveats and little forks in their team. But City have just absolutely stormed through the field and they're they're showing the real the real form of champions. And, you know, if, if they'd have squeaked past Liverpool and it had been a really open, attacking, ding-dong game where both sides were kind of landing blows and City just about came out on top, you'd have said, well, you know, Liverpool will take heart from that. You know, when they get some of their players back, Jota, um, when they get some of their injured players back, um, they're going to be a bit more of a force and they could maybe challenge City. But City really dismantled them. And had Gundogan scored his penalty, and I know you, you shouldn't what if, but had Gundogan scored his penalty and Diaz not given away a silly penalty the other end, it could have been 5-0 and it wouldn't have been an unfair result. Jurgen Klopp said, oh, you know, I thought we were in the game for 80 minutes and then for, you know, a little 10-minute spell we let them in and they scored three goals. It's not that simple. You know, you got outplayed. Um, City, City really were uh, a class apart. And if they can do that against the team that were champions and the best team in the league by a long way last season. If they can do that to them, then, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be any stopping them. So, Carl, what do you make of uh, Jurgen Klopp and the mask slipping ever further? It's getting quite cranky as of late. Obviously, results are the reason, but why is this mask starting to slip all of a sudden? Yeah, I've, you know, we have seen, haven't we, recently, you know, a few confrontations and the, the Mr. Nice Guy sort of image slipping away. Um, and it just goes to show that possibly the pressure's there, isn't it? You know, won the title so convincingly last season. And I guess there's a pressure of kind of defending that title, isn't there? Because it, it's one of the things that you always can say, you know, it's easy to win one, but then can you go and follow that up and kind of defend that title and win it a second time round and being just as convincing and I guess you know the pressure that that's been put on with that um trying to do that the fact as well that he's dealing with a squad that's had its injuries and you know when you're putting two centre midfielders at centre back um maybe all those little things have just started to eat away at him there's, there's a little bit of pressure there he knows that obviously you know if they if the form carries on the way they are and they kind of really slip away and only really struggle to finish say third or or even just you know just clinch second and city have kind of blown it away then you know like Roy Keane said you know you look at them and say well they were bad champions after you know the defense was pretty poor and I guess there's some pressure that comes with that and and maybe Jurgen's starting to kind of let that get to him a little bit and we're seeing the kind of slip of the, the Mr Nice Guy image um I don't think it's needed um you know unfortunately They've, they've had the resources there that they, they could have looked at these problem areas for themselves and kind of known that, you know, if you if you know you're always just an injury away from, from something, you know, chaotic happening, then, you know, they had in the summer the perfect opportunity to go and fix that because they were a great proposition and any player in the world would have been tempted to join them. They didn't um, and it's come back to bite them. And I think, that, you know, say that that's probably just the pressure that's starting to get to him a little bit. Of course, Max, Liverpool were masters of their own downfall, really. We talk of Alisson being one of the world's greatest goalkeepers. He looked like Alisson from accounts on Sunday with a pair of incredibly costly blunders. I hear Alisson from accounts isn't too bad in goal, actually. <laughs> <laughs> might, might be doing a bit of a disservice there. But yeah, it was, um, it was pretty amateurish from him. And when you think about the fact that he and Edison are you know, widely considered the two best keepers in the... or up there with the two best keepers in the Premier League and possibly the world... Um, you know, they're competing for the same Brazil spot. And Edison has actually been the one who's had a bit of a reputation for being a bit rash and reckless and, you know, kind of running outside his box like Neuer and occasionally getting caught out. He was the one who was 
quite solid and 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 calm and stoic. And Alisson was the one who was, um, you know, messing around with the ball and trying silly passes. And he almost got he almost got caught out earlier in that move, um, which led to the first, which led to which led to one of the goals. Which is, you know, it, it shows you that you were given you were given the one warning. And then if that happened to me, now I'm not a, a you know Premier League football or Premier League goalkeeper, but if that had happened to me the first time, where you almost got caught out, you almost um, got the ball nicked off you, I think to myself, right, next time I get the ball, I'm just going to smash it away. And then, you know, he, he, he tried something silly again and, and he got caught out. Now, he is a good keeper um, and he's kept Liverpool in a lot of games with some big saves, which is what kind of Klopp emphasised after the match. But he, he has cost them in a really big game. But also, you know, if you're talking about the goalkeeper errors, that's not the only reason they lost. Obviously, it was not 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 great for him to be giving away those goals. But I, I think that maybe does a disservice to City because they were they were so good all over the pitch, and yeah, they, they scored a lot of a lot of other goals which Alisson could do absolutely nothing about. Yeah, of course. I mean, Foden's goal a perfect example of that. But I guess Cole, when it comes to a high-profile match and a goalkeeper making a mistake, that's going to take it either even higher profile. So there's obviously a, a wild theory that the reason that Alisson made these mistakes were that his feet were cold. Now, when you make one mistake, <laughs> obviously, does that sort of then tie... Is the head gone as a goalkeeper? Where you think, OK, well, I made a mistake. You're probably trying a bit too hard to then make up for it. Is that the end product when he makes that second mistake later on? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, probably a little bit of pride as well comes in, doesn't it? Where you want to kind of show, OK, I made a mistake, but listen, I, I'm good. I can do this. Um, and, and when I get an opportunity, I'll maybe try it again. Whereas, unfortunately, what you should kind of say is I've made one mistake that's cost us. Now I don't need to make another. So I'm not going to try and do something again that could cost the team. And actually, maybe I'm better off the next time I get the ball at my feet, just get it long, get it to someone, you know, where it's out of danger but maybe he's sitting there saying you know he's told to play that way they want to try and do that you know lots of teams now want to try and suck opponents onto them didn't they and try to catch them out Liverpool like to play on the counter that way with the you know the players they've got up top and, and maybe you know the manager you know they obviously train for that and try to encourage that style of football um and he obviously felt you know okay i've made a mistake but i i can make up for it and i'm good enough unfortunately they say his cold feet have kind of cost him a second time um and unfortunately as we know when, when you're in goal mistakes often lead to goals and it's always highlighted more isn't it you know you could play a game where a striker's missed four or five sitters um you make the one mistake that loses you the game one nil and and you're the main headline the next day no one's sitting there looking at the striker game well if he'd taken his four chances yes we might you know we we might concede but we win the game 4-1 um that's just the life of a goalkeeper um you know i'd suggest maybe some thicker socks for the next appearance <laughs> yeah i think that's where he needs some thermals doesn't he that's where he went wrong but max in terms of city's emphatic win as he we referenced earlier gundogan missed a penalty so what did you make of his overall performance? Because he certainly atoned for those areas in the second half. And the fact that with these injuries to such big names at City, he is quickly becoming Mr. Reliable at the Etihad. Yeah, he is. He is. And, I, you know, I think it shows that when players are, when big profile players are out for a big team, you know, others have to step up in their absence. And I think for Liverpool, it'd be fair to say Fabinho has done, has stepped in and done pretty well doing a job at centre-back. You know, Henderson's, kind of done okay but at City you look at the the players that have come in um, in the wake of Aguero being out injured and in the wake of De Bruyne being out injured and Gundogan has really taken that mantle upon himself and he's thinking right I'm gonna have to be the main man here I'm gonna have to dictate play I'm gonna be the one who's wanting the ball who's moving the ball who's making everyone else around me better I've got to lead people I've got to create attacks I've got to finish attacks and we're seeing a completely different player because Previously, in in the other seasons, I don't want to I don't want to say anything uh, a little bit insulting to him, but he's kind of been a sideshow to the the kind of magic, the more obvious creative magic of Kevin De Bruyne and and David Silva and, and players like that. But he's really the main man 
in the midfield and in the whole team for them, him and Diaz, really, this season. So he's really stepped up fantastically into Bruyne's absence. He's obviously scoring loads of goals. And, you know, he is on penalties, which is some of the goals. But he's scoring from open play as well. And he scored two from open play against Liverpool, obviously, kind of poachers finishes, getting into the box. And he could have easily had a hat-trick had he, had he scored that penalty. And he's got a pretty good record from the spot as well. So he's been really, really impressive um, in general play. And yeah, he, that that's the kind of um, step up that you need from someone when someone big is out. And I'm not sure that, for example, in Jota's absence, any of Liverpool's front three have taken it upon themselves to be the match winners. But it hasn't really worked out for them. Um, and so that's that's the big difference between Liverpool and City. And yeah, Gundogan's been superb. So, Cole, of Liverpool's front three, they obviously did get themselves back in the game at one all. I mean, it's minuscule now in the context of the game. But Mo Salah netted from the spot. The question is, has the Egyptian dived again? Because there's definitely the offer to go down. You know, the nibble has been made, so you are going to take it. But surely that's a very unnatural collapse in the box. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a real sniper problem around Anfield <laughs> around the box, isn't there? That you know, they might the Premier League might need to investigate. I think, as you say, Dan, this is the problem I think people have, isn't it? Is you know, as you rightly say, there was a nibble. The defender has a pull. It doesn't make you fall in the manner that he's falling in. But I think what we've seen, and we've seen it in some recent games, the players, I think, are aware that unless they go down, they may not get the decision. So I think players have just become accustomed now to thinking, well, if I do get pulled back, I actually need to hit the ground because I just won't get nothing otherwise. You know, if I manage to stay on my feet, if the referee doesn't bring this back, if I don't get the shot away that I need to, or I don't make the most of this, then I could have had a dead cert penalty. And, you know, the likelihood should be that should lead to a goal. If I try and stay on my feet and I miss it, I mess it up and the ref doesn't pull it back the way we would like to think refs can then you, you know, you're getting accused and probably in the changing room people are saying to you, well, why didn't you go down? You know, in that situation, go down. Um, it is frustrating, but I don't think we'll stop it. But, you know, the the only thing that you think can come from this is that, you know, the way he is going down, I wonder if, you know, at some point it will come back to haunt him because, as we say, referees can see that theatrical reaction and there'll be a time where some refs might think, well, actually, I'm not going to give something because, yeah, this guy is just going down way over the top. But, yeah, again, I think, you know, if it's, if it's being done for your team, you're thinking, yeah, go down, we want the penalty. When it's against you, you, you don't like seeing it at all. So I think that will really divide. But he does go down very softly. And as I say, it's very theatrical. So, Max, if we take Cole's view that players feel they have to go down because without that, they won't get the penalty. At the same time, is it the deterrent isn't strong enough if they do go down? For example... There's no real punishment in the terms of a yellow card there or the two-match ban that was ever going to be mooted for simulation. So is that why players are hitting the deck also? Yeah, yeah, that's got to be a factor because routinely, you know, and, and it's one of the things I hate about watching football is that I love it. When, actually, the referee um, last night for Leeds Palace, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Andre Mariner. Um, I'll get back to you on that. But he let the game flow and it was fantastic to watch because... You know, we went whole minutes of the match with the ball just in open play and moving around. And it was great. It was great because every it feels like every 20 seconds in, in most Premier League matches, you know, someone's down and trying to get someone booked and holding their ankle, even though the player kind of brushed them on the shoulder. And it, it, the, the kind of play acting, you, you just get a bit a bit sick of it. Um, but I, in a way, I, I kind of understand why players do it, because... A hundred percent. If Salah does not go down there, if he just kind of stops running and like looks at the ref and asks for a penalty, a hundred percent he doesn't get it. He doesn't get the penalty if he if he just stops there. But if the fact that he goes down like that um, means means that he's sold it to the ref. But we might get a situation where Salah and potentially Fernandez, who's also got a habit of doing it, um, where he gets to the point where it's actually a detriment to them. Um, where like with Bale or with Suarez um, towards the end of their Premier League careers, they had such a reputation for doing it and for going down very easily that um, referees will see something that might actually be a genuine foul on them and they stop getting those penalties because it's the boy who cried wolf. 
but yeah, Salah and Mane, they've got a, a history of doing it going down easily. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a bit ridiculous. I remember a penalty Liverpool got um, against Palace at Sellers Park two, two, three years ago. Um, Sacco was behind Salah, kind of rested his hand on the top of Salah's shoulder. Salah went down like a sack of uh, excrement. <laughs> and um, yeah, got the penalty, goal, winner. See you later, three points. Um, and it's frustrating to watch, but you know it's not only those. It's not only those two. It happens across the Premier League, and I think unless we start getting um, punishments in for people who have clearly uh, dived or you know play acted or overreacted, then you know there's there's no kind of deterrent. Okay, let's move on to the other club in Manchester now, Cole. And we've just one win in four. It looks as if everyone's prediction that United's good form could never last has certainly come home to roost, and their defensive issues are ruining their ugly heads once again. Yeah, I guess that was always a concern, wasn't it? You know, whether United could keep the run going and kind of show the consistency that, say, their neighbours are now that could put them in a serious contention for a title challenge or would it be the thing that suddenly, you know, ends up making them fall short? Um, unfortunately, you do kind of think that defensively, you know, in attack and going forward in midfield, I don't see any real issues for them. Um, but it is just you know, their defence and obviously, you know, the goalkeeper has kind of had a mixed bag over the last couple of seasons, you know, from going from probably the world's best goalkeeper and suddenly now he doesn't, he never looks as kind of assured as he did those couple of seasons ago. Um, and I think ultimately it will be the defence that's going to end up letting them down and costing them a real title challenge. Um, they should be able, from from what I can see and what you see United, you think they'll probably be OK for top four this season. And then obviously they may have to really look to strengthen that defence in the summer because there is something there, you know, as I say, with the attacking talent and the players in midfield. If they can get it right defensively, then you could see them, you know, not being far away from a real title push and possibly winning it. But I, I just they're just not strong enough for me at the back. And it will cost them, especially in this league. And we saw that at the weekend. So, Max, what do you make of their woes at Old Trafford? Because when you consider their away form, that's incredible. 18 wins from 18. That's nearly a whole season's worth of away day victories. So where's it going wrong at home? Yeah, it's a weird one. Because you'd think that if a team had a problem at home, it would kind of be because of the fans. And, you know, the likes of maybe... West Ham might struggle at home because um, the fan base hasn't, you know, hasn't been uh, hesitant to make their negative feelings known if the team are playing badly. Um, similarly, similarly at United, obviously the fans have an expectation that they're going to play a certain way, and if they're not playing well or according to how the fans want them to, then you know they won't they won't be they won't be scared to to ex <clears throat> excuse me to, to express their true feelings. But the fact that there aren't fans there is what makes it so weird. Because if the players are maybe under a bit of pressure, thinking, you know, damn, I don't want to, I don't want to get get booed off here if I if I have a bad performance. The fact that the kind of home and away experiences are much more similar now because obviously there's no fans in. Um, you would think that it would the kind of the difference between home and away form would kind of be getting similar or regressing towards a bit of a mean, which is why it's so strange that they seem to be struggling at home because you know away you're it's obviously you're not in familiar surroundings and you're and you're traveling traveling away from 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 where your where your stadium is and where you live and everything like that and, it, and generally it's a bit more of a difficult experience than if you're playing at home. Maybe it's just the fact that. Um, the kind of style of football that they play kind of breaking quickly on the counter at home they feel a bit more under pressure to kind of try and hold on to the ball a bit more and try and be a bit more dominant and try kind of try and force things that way whereas naturally away from home the other team will feel that pressure and want to come onto them and then they can counter um, and they're obviously so lethal on the counter with players like Rashford and and, and Fernandez and, and Greenwood and players like that um, and you know Palace and Leeds, for example, also have a kind of similar style of play, that counter-attacking, quick counter-attacking style. And Palace and Leeds have done better away from home than at home. But with United, the difference is so pronounced that it, yeah, it's, it's a really strange one. So we'll have to keep an eye on it and, and see how that, how that develops over the season. Absolutely. But Carl, Bruno Fernandes, he scored with a Cantona-esque chip on Saturday. Do you think the Portuguese star can be as iconic at Old Trafford? 
Yeah, I, I think so. I don't see why not. I guess it, it will all depend on, on what they win, won't it? Because, you know, with Eric there, they kind of won the lot. Um, you know, he, he was a figurehead in that and, you know, was loved by their fans um, for what he brought to the club. I think if we look now at Fernandez, I mean, there's no question, is there, that he'll he'll definitely help them on the goal to winning things because he is a standout player and he's scoring goals and makes assists for fun. So I think if he continues in that vein and United suddenly start picking up silverware and then suddenly get themselves back to the top and finally win the Premier League again, then I think, yeah, he'll be held in just as high a regard as, say, what Eric was um, because he will be a massive massive contributing factor to that with his goals and assists and he's just his general play he is a real quality player and and that was a great signing for them and one that a few other teams really missed out on well I was going to ask you Max did Europe's biggest clubs sleep on Fernandes or was this a relative punt which has gone far better than anyone could have expected in Man United circles because when you look at the the first year usually a transition to the Premier League is not that quick so did Man Man United pull the wall over the rest of Europe's eyes um, I don't think so. Um, definitely he's done better than they would have expected and definitely adjusted to the Premier League um, quicker than expected. But at the same time, you know, he was posting these kind of numbers in Portugal season after season after season. And maybe um, kind of other big clubs looked at that and thought, oh, it's only Portugal. Um, and, and, you know, maybe weren't seeing that at the, at the same kind of level. And, you know, the, the Portuguese league, um, well, I'm going to admit I don't watch... I don't watch it week to week, day to day, but you know, generally you'd say it's probably below the level of the Premier League. But I think maybe people were kind of sleeping on that league and, and Fernandez because Fernandez was posting those kind of numbers for a long time. You know, when United were interested in him, that normally when you see someone linked with Werner or you know a, a European player doing well outside England, people are saying, oh well, you know, he's he's maybe a little bit unproven in this area or he's got a slight problem with his game here. People who had watched him regularly playing were saying he's the real deal. There is, you know, this guy is gonna is gonna transform United. And people thought, oh, you know, yeah, all right, we'll see, we'll see. And they were right because he's done he's done really well. Um, he's obviously transformed them completely in the same way that um, Van Dijk has transformed Liverpool, and in the same way to maybe a lesser extent that Hoiberg has um, transformed Tottenham a little bit, made them a little bit harder to beat, and that might be the last time we hear um, Hoiberg. Compared to Bruno Fernandes on this <laughs> podcast, <laughs> but um, but yeah, he, he's had such a transformative effect on the team, and obviously people are going to be looking at that transfer and thinking, well, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they haven't paid that much money for him. When people are dropping, you know, talking about dropping a hundred million on on the likes of Sancho and seventy million on Kai Havertz, look at the difference between Havertz and Bruno Fernandes's outputs this season. It's, it's stark. It's, it's chalk and cheese. So, yeah, uh, big clubs will be kicking themselves. Carl, in Tottenham circles, you can't mention Giovanni Lo Celso without comparing him to Bruno Fernandes. I know the ship has obviously sailed on that one, but how frustrating, in hindsight, is it not to get the Portuguese midfielder? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, it's, it is easy with hindsight now to look back and go, ah, oh, you know, but... Yeah, I think it is one that we sit there, don't we, and think, well, that is one that got away, especially given the nature of the fact that the guy is scoring goals and creates goals. Because I think when you look at us from a midfield perspective, that's probably the one area where we are crying out for that creative goal-scoring midfielder. And you do sit there and think, wow, if we had him in our side and he was supplying the, the, you know, the ammo for Kane, Son and that up front, as well as scoring the sort of goals he is as well, then you sit there and think, that does potentially take your side to another level um obviously his work doesn't help if you look at the cell so i don't get the impression he's a real creative midfielder that kind of replaces ericsson and what ericsson brought to the side and also on top of that the fact that since he's joined the guy has been injured probably for most of his time at spurs we seem to have that jinx with the argentinians that we bring in um you know, same as with Lamella. Um, And when you consider we haven't really probably seen the best of the cell so yet, then it does just make you look across and and look with a bit of envy to what you kind of think, oh, if only we'd just gone and got him instead. But some people might say it's easy. It's very easy to do that with hindsight. If he'd come in and been a flop, we'd all have been saying, well, there you go. That's why, you know, you was all crying out for him. But look, you know, the guy isn't it. Um, so, yeah, easy with hindsight. But, yeah, we, we can sit there and think, wow, uh, we probably have gone and got the wrong option. 
Max, just a quick point on the game on Saturday from an Everton point of view. Obviously commendable for their efforts getting back into the game at 2-2 and 3-3. But again, there's more goalkeeping issues. It's not even Jordan Pickford now, it's Robin Olsen. So what does Ancelotti do this time around? Yeah, <laughs> I think Olsen has did well enough against Leeds. He played really, really well against Leeds. But I think maybe you could say it's not a, maybe a massive long-standing issue that they need to solve. Obviously, Pickford is going to be um, coming back. But yeah, you wouldn't want to error-prone keepers. But yeah, I think Olsen has done well enough in the appearances he's had previously to um, to have to you know retain a bit of faith and trust from from the managers. I don't think that's going to be a, a big big problem for them going forward. Although maybe Ancelotti might be thinking, well, might be good as a number two to kind of provide a bit of cover, but. Really, Pickford is not a top top class keeper, and, and we need to and we need to solve that position really because he's he's costing them points and goals when he's in in the team. But then also you look at David De Gea, who's generally been pretty good this season, I think. And um, yeah, he, he was he was pretty poor, and particularly the 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 final goal from Calvert Lewin. And I don't want to say well, you know, he he was scared and he pulled out of it, but. It didn't look like the challenge of a keeper who was, you know, desperate to keep his team in the game and put his head or body where it hurt. And I can think back to Nick Pope made a fantastic late save against um, Crystal Palace when we played them at Turf Moor. And Benteke was through and Pope came out right, right out to the ball, just kind of six yards out, obviously big striker in front of him starfished it um you know smothered the ball completely fantastic save and his team got the win and um you know he, he got he was he, he got a knee to the head for his trouble and I think he missed the next week as well but he got the result and that was the main thing and I'm sure he'd do the same again David De Gea maybe wasn't wasn't so willing to to kind of put his put his head where it hurt but then you know I'm not a top class goalkeeper or top-class goalkeeping analyst. I can't say, you know, he, he definitely was scared. I was pulled out of that one. But it looked like he wasn't maybe willing to, to put his head where it hurt. OK, so as you mentioned there, Max, Dominic Calvert-Lewin scored at the weekend. But as Matthew's not here, I'm going to let him announce the development in our scientific experiment next time he's on the show. So talking of Matthew, his beloved Fulham drew once again, although that's not the biggest surprise. What is, though, is Mike Dean's decision to send off Thomas Suchek. So, Cole, with the ref... And all of us, really, watching that over and over and over again. How on earth have we come to different conclusions? Yeah, this is a real hard one, isn't it? Because, as I say, some some of the things you see, and, and we might, I don't know if we'll come to it at some point else after this. You know, there's a couple of incidents this weekend. You know, you can look at the incident in the Villa and Arsenal game, can't you? Where, you know, in my opinion, Arsenal should have a stonewall penalty. I think the biggest thing that you kind of is really frustrating here and we keep going back to it is that you can accept in real time referees might miss something or they might see something a different way to what, you know, it actually is if you get another look at it. Um, But the real hard question here is how when something like that is being looked at again, do you still come to the wrong conclusion and make the wrong decision given you get a chance to review it and see it again? Um, it's clear it's not a deliberate elbow. You can see Suchet is basically just lifting his arm up to try and say, stop pushing me. Um, I'm going to try and get myself some space away from you. Yes, it obviously does catch him in the face, as we know, but it's not an elbow where you go, oh, yeah, that was an intentional elbow. You know, you can clearly see it's just a mistake where he catches the player. Um And you'd think that when that gets reviewed and someone goes to a monitor to review it, you can actually, you know, sense would prevail and you go, oh, yeah, no, he hasn't meant that. You know, that's just an accident. And you carry on. But the fact that the decision is still being made and the red card has still come out, it just leaves you bewildered. You know, what I will say is obviously what doesn't help is when you've got players that suddenly hit the deck like they've been, you know, poleaxed and screaming and, you know, making this massive noise and, and putting their arms up looking as if to say, well, ref, what are you going to do here? Um, and to rub insult in, you know, 
the guy then goes to the referee afterwards as if to say, a red card, really? You've given him a red card? And it's been like, well, yeah, maybe if you entered it the deck... Well, exactly, yeah. And screaming and shouting, the red card doesn't get given. You know, if you just stand there and go, oh, ref, no, it's all right, he didn't mean to catch me, you know, no problem, we play on. But you've hit the deck like you've been poleaxed and you're screaming and, you know, looking as if to say, ref, come on. Um, so there is something where players need to take some accountability for, for what happens to another professional. Um, but... We should, you know, these these decisions should be getting. We should be getting the correct decision when you can review it the way we are. And I think that's the biggest thing and the biggest worry that everyone's got with VAR. You know, this was brought in to make sure we got the right decisions, and yet we're still seeing blatantly wrong decisions being given. And this is where fans are just getting frustrated with it. So, Max, is there a element of embarrassment now for Mike Dean because in the past week? There's two controversial red card decisions that have quickly been rescinded. There's obviously Suchek, which we're talking about, and also Bednarek at Old Trafford. So I know he's one for the limelight, but is it perhaps time that we'll get to his more worrying issues in a moment? But is it time for him to take a wider step out of the limelight? Yeah, potentially. I mean, I think basically I read on Sky that he made the decision to maybe not referee a Premier League game this weekend just to yeah. kind of take himself out of the spotlight. But that was his own decision. I don't think the Premier League would have done that themselves. So he's kind of chosen to, to take that upon himself to to um to take himself out of the spotlight. But it, it was just a it was just a really poor decision. And it's one of those where, you know, every single football fan will look at that and go, Well, obviously he hasn't meant it. And like um like like Cole mentions, if if um if if you can see that um that that decision has been made in real time. And basically the ref has kind of maybe just caught in the corner of his eye. He's seen that an elbow has gone to Mitrovic's face and he's seen the reaction and he's initially sent Suchek off. Um, then you can kind of understand that um, because, you know, he's just kind of made an error in the moment. But then for him, for it not to be given initially and then for him to go over to the monitor and look at it, 40 times in slow motion which is ridiculous by the way because in real time it's the most innocuous thing in the world obviously it looks worse if you slow it down and zoom right in on it um and to look at it then and and give the red cards and and he, and he was he was kind of looking looking cross with Suchek for arguing as if it was the most obvious decision in the world and I'm thinking can you honestly not see that that's accidental and and massively innocuous like I just I just can't believe that that someone who, who who is paid to do that job could could think that that was deliberately a red card and obviously it got rescinded because it was never a red it wasn't even a yellow and to be honest if I was in that game I wouldn't have even given it as a free kick I'd have said get on with it Mitrovic um, and yeah Mitrovic is is a bit of a hypocrite really I don't like the fact that he's come out afterwards and said oh yeah actually I don't think it was a foul well yeah then why do you go down like that um. You, you look at the size of you. You're you're massive, muscular, big Eastern European bloke, and and you've been and you've been lightly brushed in the face with with an elbow, and it's it's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment that that, that he's gone down like that. And I mean, it's great that eventually he's gone to the ref and um and said, oh, actually, I don't think it was a foul. It would have been really nice if you'd have done that before shouting and screaming and rolling around and pretending you'd you'd had your eye out. Do you know what I mean? Um. So, yeah, I mean, obviously it's got um. It's got overturned, and it's and it's a really poor decision. Obviously, I think we'll we'll get onto the some of the some of the abuse he's, he's been receiving on social media, which is you know horrendous. But I think um, I think we're we're definitely allowed to look at that decision in um, in isolation and say that was a poor decision, and that he's had a poor week overall given his his red card for the um uh, for the Bednarak Bednarak challenge on on Martial. I think maybe he's a little bit little bit happy to 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 get his his, his cards out. Well, Cole, you know, decisions right or wrong and whether we agree with them, that's kind of the game in isolation. You know, that is where things should be left behind. There's no excuse for what Mike Dean has to deal with afterwards, he and his family, regarding de potential death threats. You know, it's not on really, is it? No, and, and this is the sort of current world with social media, isn't it, where unfortunately, you know, we, we are going to have to come up with some way where you can, you know, find a system that gets these idiots offline, or at least if they manage to get online and do the things they're doing, they can be rightfully and, and the correct punishment can be dished out. Um, because, yeah, as you say, 
you know, no, no one should be subjected to that or their family. You know, the guy is just refing a game of football. Uh, and, you know, you, you kind of worry about the sort of people that do it, given the state, you know, and what's going on in the world with things like, you know, with the pandemic and everything and people losing loved ones, that they let a referee's decision get them so much that they feel they need to do this. Um, and that's the way they want to deal with it. Um, it's just crazy. The only thing, and but the only thing you can say with someone like Mike Dean, unfortunately, is he does enjoy courting. It seems he does enjoy to, you know, play this role where he likes to put himself in the limelight. Um, and like I say, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's any, you know, any of the abuse is right. But maybe he, this might be something where he needs to look and say, actually, do you know what? I, I might need to kind of step back from the way I normally am and, and the controversy I like to court. I mean, we know, don't we, Dan, from the situation when we played Burnley yeah. um, under Pochettino. You know, I, I felt the club were poor by not forcing, forcing the FA on that because it's clear that incident Mike Dean says something. Um, because you've never seen Pochettino or his staff react the way they did that day. So it was clear he obviously wanted to try and wind them up and, and stir some trouble. Um, we let them off the hook there, I think, and Mike Dean off the hook. Um, and he has got history for this, you know. He he likes to be front and centre. And unfortunately, when you put yourself front and centre, sometimes it, it leads to this. I say it's not acceptable what people are doing. And, you know, the social media platforms need to find a way to kind of stamp down on this um, because, yeah, it, it is just wrong. But maybe Mike Dean in future may just want to kind of not put himself in the limelight as much as he does when he when he refs games. Yeah, I guess there is an element of hoisted by his own batard. But as you say, Carl, that does not mean that people can do what they do online. And Max, does this ultimately mean that this is another strand in football's latest cyber threat and that ultimately comes from these social media trolls? Is it football's problem or is it the tech giants? Ultimately, can it ever be solved? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what a question. And it's a question that is seemingly flummoxing all of our... Um, all of the, the football's authorities and governing bodies and, and even um, outside football and outside sport, um, it seems to be a problem um, in general life. Um, so I don't want to kind of ruminate too long on it, but basically um, the, the abuse people are getting, and that's kind of racist abuse and non-racist abuse as well, yeah. because obviously we've, we've seen that it's not only a, a racism problem, obviously that that is a huge problem in and of itself, but it's not limited to that because people are just getting death threats, you know, referees, and when a player makes a mistake, um, people are getting death threats. And it's, it's, it's a wider societal problem, basically. And, and you know, it's, it's easy to say social media can do more, but it can do more. And, you know, there are instances where people have reported people saying horrendous things online on social media, and, and it's taken them months and months to, to, you know, to get to it and to deal with it and to get a reply and and things like that. And obviously, the social media companies don't want to make it hard for people to sign up, right? They want as many members as possible, as many people to join it as possible. So they want um, they want to make it nice and easy and quick for people to sign up. Obviously, that just encourages, you know, bot accounts or people's second accounts or anonymous accounts where where people can just post the, 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 the most kind of inexcusable, shocking abuse to people. Um, but yeah, it is a wider societal problem and it needs to be solved, really. It's not only football's problem, you know, because we can't forget that, um, you know, Joe Cox was shot on, on Britain's streets um, not not long ago. So there's there's obviously a problem of kind of extremism and people taking things and people taking things too far and, and, and hatred and that kind of thing. But football needs to be um, aware of its own role, you know, not, not to say... All of this abuse is contained within football's microcosm, but football needs to stand up and say, "Look, we've got a problem, and we need to try and help be. We need to try and help be the solution to this problem." Yeah, I fully agree with that one, Max. Let's flip it back to football now, and let's go to Ironside because for all the negative criticism, Cole, of Newcastle's defensive style as of late, it was that very attribute 
that got them over the line at the weekend. Yeah, it was. I mean, actually, this was a really enjoyable game, to be honest, wasn't it? Um, you know, it's one of them fixtures that when it, when when you see it, sometimes you might think, oh, I don't fancy that game. But it was a real open game of football. And both sides, really, you know, I mean, you know, Newcastle, lucky that on another day, Southampton could easily have had more, more than they had um, and could have easily scored three or four or five on the day. You know, they really missed some good chances. But then at the other end as well, Newcastle were the same. You know, it just seemed it was almost a bit like a game of basketball at times. It's like, okay, you have a go now. We'll get the ball. We'll go up the other end and we'll have a go. Um, And it was it turned out to be a really good game and great points in the end for Newcastle, especially after the sending off, because, you know, it looked like in that second half after Hendrick got himself sent off stupidly, um, you kind of thought, well, Southampton will probably go on and get the equaliser here at least. And who knows, they could then go on and nick it. Um, But South Newcastle in the end managed to hold out some last ditch defending, some good goalkeeping. And for me, you know, with the momentum that they've kind of picked up recently, Newcastle, that was a really important win to get over the line. And one that, again, just keeps the momentum going and, you kind of feel now with the way that the table's working out and the teams below them, you kind of feel that that's a win that really probably makes them feel pretty confident that they got another year, at least in the Premier League, coming um, because I can't now see those bottom three possibly catching um, Newcastle or Brighton who are down there. I think there's too much to do now. A good, but a really good win. Um, and like I say, it, Newcastle look, look good. You know, when you put Maximilian back in that side, um, they become a different beast because he's got pace to scare people. And, you know, the only shame that comes from that game is Callum Wilson's injury because I think without him up top, again, you start to worry where the goals might come from. Max, talking of goals, where have they gone for Southampton? The obvious point is they conceded 18. I know nine was in one game, but that's still a lot in five matches all five that they've lost, but in those five, they've scored just three. So why are things petering out quite quickly for the Saints? Yes, it's a tricky one because they've got the attacking talent there, you know, you would think. Um, Obviously, out wide, you know, they've got a decent um, crop of players. Armstrong is a good player, he's a good footballer. Redmond has been a bit in and out of the team, but, you know, then they've they've kind of strengthened um, earlier in the season with with Walcott, who's done all right, and Minamino, who obviously showed he's got a bit of the goal-scoring touch that Liverpool, ironically, might be missing. Um, but, yeah, Danny Ings hasn't been hasn't been his usual self. And I don't know whether he's injured um, or not, or kind of fully fit or not. Um, because him him and Adams, earlier in the season, the, the, these guys were, were scoring a couple of goals every single game. And, 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 you know, Ings was looking like he was the same player he was last season when he almost won the Golden Boot. You know, there was only one goal off winning the Golden Boot. Um so I, th- I think it, it might be a little bit simplistic to kind of place everything on Ings, but they have got the, some really, really good players in, in the attacking areas there. It's just not, not seeming to be clicking at the moment. I think obviously the fullbacks are a big miss. You know, Bertrand has just kind of come back in and Walker Peters has been out. And with those kind of wide attacking midfielders in a 4-2-2-2 that they normally play, uh, maybe cutting inside a bit, infield a bit, um, the, the fullbacks are the ones... Uh, providing the width or tasked with providing the width and so when you don't have Bertrand and Walker Peters playing we've seen that there's a bit of a, a drop-off between those players and their replacements um, obviously Southampton last time out with Walker Peters out they were forced to play Jack Stevens at right back who's much more naturally a centre-back and so I, I, maybe um, the, the lack of width and kind of penetration that they're getting while their fullbacks have been out is a factor in it. But also Danny Ings looks a little bit off colour and they need, to, they need to see him getting back to where he was last season. OK, let's go to Bramall Lane now. As Cole, Chelsea, that managerial switch is looking like the best bit of business they could have done because it's 10 points from 12 and all of a sudden hopes of a top four finish have been given a massive shot in the arm. Yeah, it never kind of goes wrong, does it? You know, no one, no one likes the kind of process that Chelsea seems to follow, but the reality is they follow it because it's got them results in the past, doesn't it? And it often works for them. And it and it seems like yet again, Abramovich has kind of struck gold with his his master plan. Um, 
And as much as most people probably didn't want to see Frank get the boot, the turnaround in form has come at the right time. And as you say, Dan, you know, it, you can see that there are some shoots of recovery. Um, certain players are starting to look a little bit more comfortable and put in some better performances. You know, Mount is a great player. Um, you know, people thought he wouldn't get in the side once Frank had gone. But, you know, he's a quality footballer who, who will just add goals and, and, and that for Chelsea. So it looks like, as you say, it's back on for them. You know, some, some really good results. I mean, you know, the game against us, Dan, you know, they could have won that far more comfortably than they did. Um, you know, we, we never really had a sniff at all at any point and they'll probably feel they should have killed it off more. Sheffield United have shown some, you know, slight signs of recovery. So to go there and get an important away win is another good sign for them. And they will now feel that they can go and push on and try and get themselves that top four position um, and get themselves back in the Champions League this season. And they'll feel like they might be able to go deeper again in that competition now. Well, of course, you know, there's the shot in the arm for actually going on to conquer Europe themselves. And again, if them being fifth at the moment, if they are in the top four, that's at someone else's expense. Dare I say, could it even be Liverpool? Max, the Tuchel versus Klopp subplot could be coming up quite juicy at the moment. Yeah, very much. Very much it could be. And I think people have kind of seen Liverpool as title contenders for so long that they're kind of sleeping on the fact that if City win their game in hand... Liverpool will be 13 points behind um, Man City, you know, in, in fourth. And that means, you know, Liverpool are literally closer to Wolves in 14th than they are to um, to City in first, which is kind of astounding when you think about it. But so many teams are, are really, really close to, to Liverpool. West Ham are only a point of Liverpool um, at the moment. And I think, you know, given the form that they've been in and if Jota takes a while to get back and, you know, and if the, the centre-backs they've brought in, Kabak and Davis, don't seem to be um, challenging the likes of Henderson and Fabinho and really knocking on the door to get in that team, Liverpool might well be looking down rather than up and thinking, God, are we going to be able to get Champions League this season, let alone pushing City all the way for the title? OK, it's the quick-fire round now, so let's mop up the rest of the Premier League headlines. Carl, let's go to Villa Park. We haven't got time to talk about the Stonewall penalty or lack thereof. What I want to talk about, though, Ollie Watkins. Ten goals for the season for the Villa. On the evidence of that hefty outlay in the summer, he's certainly looking like a rather shrewd investment. Yeah, he is, and I, you know, I won't, you know, I won't lie. You know, when people were talking about, you know, why didn't say Spurs sign someone like Ollie Watkins? I was one of those people that said, listen, for for the money that Villa have paid, I don't think I'd have been prepared to take a punt on a on a player that's come from the Championship for that money. But credit to him because he's come in. He's done really well, scored some good goals, and he is starting to look like a player that, you know, actually could be worth the sort of money that Villa have paid for him, given his age and the fact he's only going to improve and and he's going to learn from this season and that will help him next season where you feel there's just a more confidence to come through um, and he'll do just as well again. So Villa may have made a shrewd sign in there that, you know, who knows, in another couple of years, they could, they could look to make that money up and a lot more on a profit given, you know, if his trajectory keeps going the way it is, he'll be wanted by some much bigger clubs um, and, you know, that that's a good thing. And he, he's certainly putting himself in the mix to be spoken about. You know, you would sit there and say that even, you know, in England, you know, I'm pretty sure Gareth's keeping an eye on him now and looking at the way he progresses um, because you could have that link up with Grealish and that um, as well for England. So fair credit to him. He's doing really well. And I now sit there and think, I wish Spurs had laid that money out on him. Well, again, hindsight is a wonderful thing when it comes to transfers. But Max, let's go to Turf Moor. Not necessarily the result, as they drew one all with Brighton, but I think it's fair to say Sean Dyche certainly won the strangest press conference of the week. Yeah, <laughs> my God, yeah, it was really, it was really unusual. Um, but at the same time, I, I think so many uh, managerial press conferences are really, um, are really dull and dour, and you know, managers are a little bit uh, antagonistic towards the media, rightly or wrongly. And I'll give you an example, Nuno. Uh, the Wolves boss really does not like doing his media duties. He doesn't see why he has to do it. Very often he'll give very short, cursory, uninformative um, answers, and and he, and he kind of is, is very is very quick to show his disdain, which is kind of a shame. Um, 
obviously the sports media people are kind of only doing their job, even if Nuno doesn't really see the the benefit of it um, for, for his own team. Um, but it's, it's really nice and refreshing to see um, a manager kind of connecting with the journalists and, and then the sports media on a bit more of a human level and talking about something quite normal and, and mundane and, and day-to-day and, and human. Um, so yeah, I was I, I was I was um, I watched it with with interest, and I, I thought it was really funny and good on him. Hopefully, more press conferences are like that um, in future. Did you hear about um, his his little interaction with John McGinn? Yes, that was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know if we can I don't know if we can repeat it on this podcast. Yeah, you can. It's that. It's fine. Crack on. Like. All right, so um, I'll see I'll see if I can do it justice. If I can remember all the details of the story. So basically. Um, uh, McGinn made a foul when Aston Villa were playing were playing Burnley. Um, Deitch was appealing for it quite loudly, and then um, and McGinn said, "Ah, oh, shut up" or something like that to him. And Deitch replied, uh, clearly fuming with the with the Villa players' cheek, saying, um, "Saying, oh, so you you've been in the Premier League one year and you think you're a big shot now?" And McGinn. Uh, Quick as a flash with that with that Scottish humour replies, You've been in the Premier League for six years and you're still wearing that shit coat, you there big you prick. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was just unbelievable. Uh, that that's just that's the Scottish humour in a in a nutshell, isn't it? Unbelievable. Yeah, it's insightful, biting, perfect, spot on. So, Cole, a quick word on Tottenham's win, please. Yeah, did the job, um, you know, bit bigger, harder test to come, but looked a little bit more encouraging from an attacking point of view. Um, so I think, you know, I don't think it's going to pan our season out. You know, I think the real test is going to come in the next 10 days where we've got, you know, Everton in the Cup and, and City in the league, um, where I think we'll see, you know, the, the sort of more tougher challenges that we'll face and see whether Jose it can still get that first kind of attacking football in those games. But I think the ultimate thing is, as well that you maybe take out of it is that without Kane you know Spurs you know potentially do at this moment in time very much look like as Pep would say the Harry Kane team. Max a quick word on Palace's defeat please. Uh, yeah I thought Leeds were actually really good and you know me on this podcast I've been not slow to, to, to have a have a go at Leeds have a pop at Leeds so uh, yeah I'd like to say they were really good um, really energetic um, played us off the park um, completely deserved the win. Bamford was really good and came across as a really nice bloke in his post-match interview. Um, and Rafinha was absolutely superb. So fair play to them. They were quality. Carl, on the topic of Bamford, if you've got your Gareth Southgate waistcoat on in the summer, are you taking him to the Euros? Well, I think you're certainly having a look, aren't you? Um, and he'll and certainly be in the kind of mix, the, the sort of season he's had. I just don't think, he, you know, he will. I don't think he'd get that jump up. I think Gareth's going to look to his kind of mainstay attacking line for, for that competition. But Bamford can't do no more, can he? You know, he, he's been really good. He's scoring some really good goals. And not even, that that's all you can really do, isn't it? Just put yourself in the mix and see what happens. Who knows? Injuries, you know, a couple only takes a couple of injuries and all of a sudden you're definitely in with a shout. I guess, Max, England are quite stocked in terms of attacking ranks at the moment. You know, Ollie Watkins, Battenford, Rashford, Kane, Callum Wilson, Calvert-Lewin. You know, the list is quite extensive. How many really do you need to take in terms of England's shape? Yeah, well, this is the thing because we play a system with one striker and Kane is guaranteed. Um, and then you're looking at, you know, possibly two more out of that massive field that you just mentioned. So, I mean, I guess it's good that we have the competition and it's better to have too many than rather than too little. But it's going to be a real a real struggle for, you know, for, for Southgate to pick because there are so many good options. I um, you know, Vardy, if we want to call him out of retirement, he's still in fantastic form um, in the Premier League. He might be persuaded to for kind of one final swan song. But yeah, um, it's really good that we've got lots of good young English players um, uh, kind of pushing to be pushing to be chosen. Even you know Tammy Abraham, Danny Ings, and there, there are so many options. So yeah, it's it's going to be really exciting to see to see who we take at the moment. If I had to choose right now, I'd say probably Kane, Calvert Lewin, and Ings. Oh yeah, there you go, a seventh pick. So what I want from you both is one wild card name, which might shock us all, that makes the England squad. If you're picking the England squad right now, 
Who's a bit of a left field name, which makes you 23? Carl, you go first. Oh, I might go for Ollie Watkins, to be honest, Dan. Okay, good I think, shout. You know, he could you know, say the form he's had, uh, say a couple of injuries, and he could get himself in the mix. Good shout. And Max, same question to you. Oh, t- tricky one. Um, I am going to go a little bit boring. Um, I'm going to say Aaron Wambasaka or Cole Darlow. Cole Darlow, that's a good shout. I'll go Ward-Prowse. I don't know if that's left field or not, but I've reckoned... With his sort of dead ball skills, he might be something that can unlock a opposition international defence. I, I say, Dan, can we just bring him on for free kicks? Yeah. Like the XFL? yeah I think we need to bring this rule in. <laughs> if it was that simple, it'd be great. But um, one final note, Wolves-Leicester, they played out a draw. As you mentioned, Max, Danny Vardy might be in the England fold if there's enough goals, but he didn't score at the weekend. I know he came off the bench, but Leicester are just stuttering without his uh, talents from the off. They've got Liverpool at the weekend. That might be a defining game in the top four. And I guess, Carl, very very quickly, Leicester are going to hope that the same thing didn't happen this season, that happens last season, in terms of that collapse. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, that's the one thing, you know, they, they will know what last season they really cost themselves. And I think they'll be doing everything they can to make sure that, you know, end of season collapse doesn't come. And maybe that's why, you know, they got the Vardy operation out of the way when they did, knowing that they could get him back for the second half of the season. Because like as you say, without him, they're not the same animal. Um, so at least if they've got him for the running, then that kind of, you know, you like to think gives them a, that bit more hope and, you know, chances are they've learnt from last season and they'll try their best to make sure they can finish stronger and put themselves in the mix. Right, we're in the mix for full time because that is pretty much it for this week. So I just need to do the admin, which is as simple as thanking my two pod squad members. Also, Matthew, if you're listening, I hope you join us next week. But Max, thanks for your time this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed that one. Yeah, very much. It was a pleasure as always. Cheers, mate. And Cole, thanks for wearing the captain's armband once more. I hope you'll be back next Tuesday. Yeah, definitely. Certainly back and looking forward to more football to talk about. Fantastic. Cheers, guys, and also to the listeners out there. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network.